If statewide voters end up approving a constitutional amendment merging the governments of St. Louis and St. Louis County, then St. Louis County Executive Steve Stanger would become the first metro mayor of a united region. And the Democratic official has a lot to say about why this setup is better for 1.3 million people. Stanger is our guest on the latest edition of Politically Speaking, so let's hit the music. This is Politically Speaking, the longest-running episodic podcast about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that, that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. And this is kind of a different Politically Speaking than we're used to. I conducted an interview with St. Louis County Executive Steve Stanger on February 7th, 2019. The only topic we talked about was the Better Together plan, which would merge St. Louis and St. Louis County into a metro government. Stanger would become the first metro mayor of this new setup if statewide voters approve it. So I ended up having a lot of questions about why he ended up supporting this plan and what benefit it would have for the 1.3 million people that would be under this new system. I've talked with you a lot about city-county merger over the last four or five years, and what you've told me a lot is, you know, we have to study the proposal. You can't just go into something uh, impulsively. Um, What prompted you to get behind this particular plan? I think this plan strikes um, a very fair balance. And as you'll recall from, you know, maybe even four years ago, what I, you know, had been talking about was reviewing whatever plan was proposed. And, and, and this isn't something that I think you, you know, you, you, you act on a gut with or you have just sort of a almost just some kind of a conceptualized, um, you know, affirmation of a particular plan. I, these plans are real. And, you know, when you start talking about merger and consolidation, the plans are real and they impact people's lives in different ways. And the plans all are complex. You know, any, any, any plan that's going to be proposed around bringing together two very large municipal entities, uh, those plans are going to be complex plans. So you really need to read them. You need to analyze them. And, and what I had been talking about doing was analyzing those plans um, from both a, um, you know, from, from, a, from an objective perspective, from a subjective perspective, um, from a, um, you know, a monetary perspective, and, and some of the other softer issues of, you know, of, uh, you know, impacts on individuals' lives throughout our community. And I think what I had been saying was I was going to take a qualitative and a quantitative approach, which is what I did as I analyzed the plan. When did you first get catch wind of the plan? When did the Better Together people present it to you? You know, Better Together, you certainly made no secret of their work. You know, they were th- they were working throughout the community, having town halls and meetings with individuals all over the community. And I would say somewhere 
within maybe the first year of my first term, I began to talk with Better Together to learn more about um, at least, you know, the ideas that they were that they were sort of uh, debating um, at the time, because you know the the plan was certainly not formed, you know, in the first year of my administration. If you remember, I I took office in. Two thousand one one of two thousand fifteen, and they started in twenty thirteen. And they started. They started in twenty thirteen, and I, I think that their their plan was not a by any means a complete plan in two thousand fifteen. I think it really became complete after the task force uh, was endorsed by uh, Mayor Krusen and uh, and me, um, and then the the task force began its work. I think the task force worked for about a year. So it was sometime after that task force, you know, began disseminating pieces of its plan that I learned about it. So it would have been somewhere around the end of 2018, mm-hmm. somewhere near the end. So you mentioned uh, the impact on people's lives. How do you think this new government would help everyday people? And, 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 and I can, yeah, I can, I can approach it from the perspective of sort of what I like about it and what I think is, is, is you know, strikes a unique balance. I think having a 33-person council is helpful. I think because it, uh, it it helps us represent across all demographics in our community, and I think that's important. That we have, um, you know, we talk about having one place for that that everyone knows about a forum, if you will, for regional conversations, and having that in a you know a 33-person council, I think, is important. Having that with um, with a with a with one metro mayor. Um, that I think that's important, uh, you know, who represents everyone. So between, you know, the Metro mayor and between the council, you have a good deal of representation and that council would be able to form caucuses. Um, it would be able to develop its own leadership. And uh, I think it would be a, a, a very solid representative body. From reading through the proposal, the mayorship, which you would take control of if this passes, is a very powerful office. I would argue it's definitely more powerful than the current mayorship of St. Louis. And you can make an argument that it's more powerful than the county executive's office. From talking with the Better Together people, they did this on purpose because they felt that having very strong executive leadership um, worked in other places. I guess the the counter argument to that, especially in St. Louis, is you want to make sure that an executive is not so powerful that there's not checks and balances on it. But I understand you're coming in it from a somewhat biased perspective since you're going to be entering into it. But what do you think of the fact that this is a, a, a very powerful office that they've created. You know, I think a lot about policy, and I think a lot about, um, you know, as you are forming a government, I think a lot about balance, and I think about the separation of powers. Um, you, you might say I'm, I'm a bit of a constitutional nerd. I, I am a lawyer by, uh, by trade, and uh, those are issues that I've always paid a great deal of attention to, and I ran across many of those issues. I was a, I was basically a, a public defender for a good portion of my career, and I dealt with a lot of constitutional issues. So um, it's certainly a subject that uh, that I'm familiar with. And I'll tell you, I think that this strikes a, a healthy balance. I think that there are checks and balances, and I think that those checks and balances are imp- are very important. And, you know, in going back to what your, your one of your previous questions, which was, you know, what do you see as, how do you think this is going to impact people's lives? Um, maybe on a daily basis, you know, one of the things that the plan does is it puts it puts our, our court system in one place. And when you talk about having a strong executive form of government and you talk about having those courts um, in one place, 
it, it allows for a court system that is frankly fairer than the current municipal court system that we have now. You know, now, as you drive from municipality to municipality, um, if someone has a violation and they drive through three different municipalities, they might just get three violations for whatever they, you know, whatever they might have at the time. Um, we have a great deal of predatory, um, predatory ticketing, predatory revenue generation, and that's a problem that I think we've we've seen, and we've seen some try to come and address that, and it's been, you know, wholeheartedly rejected by uh, by certain members of our community and certain leaders in our community. And I think that's a problem, and I think that this government allows for a much better balance there. It allows for a court system that is centralized, so we won't have, I mean, you know, particularly the way we run our courts in, in St. Louis County, we don't do predatory ticketing and we don't do predatory revenue generation. It's just not something that we do as a policy, of course, and it's also something that's not necessary when you have, you know, a larger government structure that simply doesn't need those revenues to operate. This new government would not only have one municipal court, but one police department. That's right. Again, what do you think that would, how do you think that would be beneficial for people in this new region? So it's beneficial in the, maybe the best way to look at it is think about the unaccredited departments that we have and think about how some of those departments have officers because of our system of training locally. Some of those departments have officers who have very little training. And for every member of our community who drives through that particular community, wherever that particular community is, and I'm not naming names, but you drive through that community and you're subject to the police officers in that community. And I will tell you that you're, you're going to receive a, a different level of professionalism in certain municipalities than you do in others, which is one of the reasons why we wanted to do uniform police standards. And that also was, that also was met with, you know, with, with a fierce battle because some of the departments did not want to have minimum standards for their, for their police departments. Um, St. Louis County's police department as well as St. Louis City's police department are both uh, Triarch accredited through CALEA. Um, St. Louis County has the highest level of Triarch accreditation that you can have. And uh, we have approximately, as far as municipalities go, we have approximately eight municipalities um, that are eight municipality departments. And I say municipality departments because we also have two, I believe, two uh, university departments that are also CALEA accredited. Um, but we have eight that are CALEA accredited. And once again, CALEA accreditation is really the gold standard for accreditation. So how does this affect everyday citizens? Well, it affects their everyday lives because you will have one department that will be CALEA accredited. And it will be of the highest accreditation that you can have it will have the gold standard accreditation, and you'll have a certain level of professionalism with those officers that you don't find in every municipality, and frankly, in the majority of the municipalities in St. Louis County currently. Just to play a big bit of devil's advocate, I covered the uh, 2015 Ferguson City Council race and talked to pretty much most of the candidates along with Joe Manis. And we found that across a pretty wide spectrum of opinion, none of them wanted St. Louis County Police Department to patrol Ferguson because they felt it was better for them to have their own police department that was smaller and they could control. I think you're gonna hear a lot that, about that argument over the next few months. How would you respond to something like that? I think what's important to note is the word that you used in the last paragraph of, your, of what you said, which is control. A lot of this goes to control 
and it goes to really personalities as opposed to maybe best practices and best policies. I, I find that to be a bit troubling. And for instance, you know, you look at the Ferguson situation and you might have individuals that are, you know, representatives in Ferguson. I don't know exactly who it is that you might be talking to. And, and I, I, you know, certainly it could just very well be the public. But what I think everyone needs to, to, to consider is that we spent approximately $13 million on, on, on the initial round of, of civil unrest in, in Ferguson. And when I say we, I mean our entire community did that. And, we, and, and our entire community made that investment and made that expenditure through our St. Louis County Police. Because our St. Louis County Police was the force that was, the primary force that was called in to deal with much of the civil unrest in Ferguson. So, you know, we, we have had, at times, a highly significant presence in Ferguson for extended lengths of time. And I would say that we, we were, you know, we were called to do that because the Ferguson Police Department didn't have the resources to deal with those issues. Um, now, there were other departments that also uh, assisted as well, and I would take nothing away from those departments because those departments, uh, I think, did their very best under, under very difficult circumstances as well. But we also had, you know, St. Louis City. We had departments from all around the region that were also in there. But St. Louis County had a significant presence, and that's really uh, the point that I'm making there. So I want to go through a few of the pushbacks of this plan that maybe you can respond to. Um, I understand the reason this is going to a statewide vote from talking with Better Together. They feel like you have to change the Constitution in order to make this plan work, and a constitutional amendment requires a statewide vote. I'm not uh, going to argue against that. They have very smart lawyers dealing with that. I think, though, at a more visceral and philosophical level, some people are wondering, even with that reality, they don't like the fact that other people are making the decision about what our government is going to be for us. And by other people, I mean people that don't live in St. Louis and St. Louis County. I'd like you to address that because if there's going to be one issue that I think is going to be brought up over and over again, it's that one. Well, I look at it this way, and I, and I don't just look at it. I've, I've really thought about it deeply. And, and I, I think you remember interviews with me where in the past I've said, and I was, I was vocal about it, I, I would I would really prefer a local vote on an issue of this magnitude. I think that that's important. But I also understand exactly what you said, which is that in order to create the change that needs to happen for our region, you know, changes to, you know, a predatory court system that, that uh, you know, frankly takes advantage of our poor people, of our poorest, um, in order to achieve um, equality in policing and standards in policing that would apply across the board to every single person in St. Louis County, regard, or in St. Louis County and in St. Louis City in our region, regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of the level of their education, regardless of their socioeconomic status, to have the same level of policing um, and to be treated uh, fairly in our municipal court system. Um, in order to make those changes that I think are extremely important to the residents of, of our region, we have to have a statewide vote because those things can't be accomplished through a local vote. So to me, you know, I, I have to look at, you know, what we're trying to accomplish and what Better Together is trying to accomplish. And if that's what they're trying to accomplish, and if that has to be done by a statewide vote, 
then we really don't have too much of a choice as to, you know, what 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 can be done. And remember, Better Together is a not-for-profit. It's not government, so they can proceed how they you know how they how they are able to proceed. And if they're able to accomplish it via a statewide vote, you know that that's what uh, I believe they're going to do. Do you think that they're doing that because it's easier to pass this through statewide vote as opposed to just in the city and the county? Because that's a lot of what there's a lot of suspicion that this is more of a strategic decision than well, a, a a practical well, one. Well, I'll tell you, it, I think that if they were not. Um, as bold in their approach, and they were just going to do some piece of this plan, I think they'd go for a local vote. But from what I've been advised by them and what I've read and what I believe and what I understand, they need to go for a statewide vote in order to make these changes that they want to make. So, I mean, it's being driven by the level, the detail, and sort of almost even the, the, the boldness of the change. I mean, these are bold changes and moves for our region, and they simply can't be accomplished by a local vote. You can't, you can't, you know, you for instance, you you can't change the the requirement that um, municipalities are required to have a police department of a certain size after municipalities of a certain size. Um, you can't change that requirement by a local vote. It has to be done through a constitutional amendment. Um, it would, it was, which requires that statewide vote. So it's really the level um, and the boldness and the um, and and the and the actual the actual changes that are that are being brought about. I understand that Better Together never promised that they were going to deal with school districts. So I think it's somewhat unfair to be like, "Hey, why aren't school districts included when they specifically said they weren't going to do it?" But a lot of people feel that the school situation in the region is part of the fragmentation problem, um, especially for many African-Americans. They feel like they have unequal access to education based off where they live. Um, so do you, what do you think about that decision not to include school districts? And do you think that um, that may be the next step if this passes? Well, I look at it, I look at it this way, and um, I've, been, um, I've been thinking about that a lot, and I thought about that a lot as, as the recommendations were coming out. And, and I've, I've come to the conclusion that this is a plan that deals with a certain set of issues and it deals with, legally, it deals with a certain section of the Constitution. And if you look at the constitutional provisions that this measure changes, um, they are not in the same portion of the Constitution that education is dealt with. And this plan deals with the actual structure of our government and what our government is going to look, look, look like and how it's going to function. And that really is separate and apart from the education issue. And while there are some similarities in that we see that there is a great disparity in educational you know, availability and outcomes and, and all, in all facets of education, which is, of course, troubling, this plan addresses basically standing up a new government. And that government really needs to be stood up, I think, and needs to be functioning before that issue before the issue of education is really dealt with so we have to really it's twofold it's really sort of an analytical progression on the one hand and then on the other there's also i think legal issues with addressing education and you also have education which is bifurcated as far as funding goes so you have a you know the state funding issue you've got the local funding issue so i just don't think that that is part of this plan but it certainly can be part of another plan in the future if someone 
you know, if someone like a better together should choose to tackle that issue, then that's an issue yeah, that, and, and that would be addressed. And I brought this up to the Better Together people, and I understand that I'm personally involved with it because I send one of my kids to sure. special school district. But I feel like after this passes, parents in St. Louis public schools are going to be like, hey, we're in the same jurisdiction as all the county schools now. We should have the opportunity to vote to join special school district after that. So I could see that becoming a yeah. big issue. And if you're mayor, you may have to advocate for that. So is sure. that something that you would consider doing? And with the caveat on my part that, you know, I'm not a completely uninterested party in that. Yeah. And I, I would say that that, you know, education reform is something that I'm certainly, you know, it's a subject that I'm interested in. Um, I think we certainly do need reform uh, with respect to education locally, and I think at the state level as well. But that is an issue that in and of itself is, you know, that's a huge issue. And, and that is a, is a major undertaking. And I think that, you know, frankly, taking that on before you took on the governmental piece could, could be difficult in a fractured region. And maybe taking that on after you address the, the government piece is, is probably a better logical progression. And, and this has been brought up whenever a city-county merger proposal comes about. You're creating basically a largely white voting jurisdiction. Understand that there's going to be a lot of council districts for African Americans to potentially win, probably more so than, say, the county council. But what would you say to people that say that this plan will make it difficult for a, a racial minority to win one of the, the big three offices, mayor, assessor, or, or prosecutor? I don't, I, I think if, you know, you, it's probably best to look at the history of St. Louis County, and we've certainly had uh, an African-American county executive, <clears throat> and that was just within the county, and that was with the county demographics as they were at the time. And, um, you know, if, it was Charlie Dooley, if you remember, and uh, Charlie won re-election, I believe, twice. Mm -hmm. um, you also have, uh, you know, now we have an African-American prosecuting attorney in Wesley Bell, um, and then we also have uh, several African-American council people. So that's all within the county. And if the county and the city are joined, um, we bring in a jurisdiction that is, I believe, by population approximately 50% uh, uh, minority population, or maybe a little bit over 50% minority population that would be brought into St. Louis County, which would tend to make the mix and you know, the mix of, of districts um, um, probably in, in St. Louis County, it would bring in additional um, districts that could be, uh, that could that could have as their representative a minority. So I think that, uh, you know, I think if we're, if we have already seen countywide, um, you know, uh, minority representation in those top spots, I think that we'll only see more with the two combined, at least from the perspective of, as you called it, the, the jurisdiction that would be predominantly white. So there's this Board of Freeholders petition that's being circulated, and if they get enough signatures, it would, I think, require both you and the mayor to appoint a Board of Freeholders. And the question that I've brought up is, since both you and Mayor Krusen are, are clearly for the Better Together plan, and you're almost certainly of the belief that a Board of Freeholders process could not replicate the Better Together plan, um, wouldn't you be inclined to just appoint people that would make sure that there would be nothing out of that process so the Better Together plan is the only thing on the ballot in the next couple of years? 
Well, there, there's a, a two-step process to that appointment. You know, I, I would make the appointment, and then the, the county council would have to either confirm or, or deny. So you have sort of a check and a balance there as well. So if I were to appoint someone that would be of my mindset that I believe that this is a plan that we should move forward, um, they're free to question that person, ask that person whether they should serve, et cetera. And, you know, I think that's how you would arrive at a panel that uh, could be balanced. But what do you think of, you, you probably don't think that this plan can be done through the Board of Freeholders because that, that, that has been the line from better together. So it doesn't really seem like you'd be very enthusiastic it, to participate. It, it, it can't. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to be very honest with you. I, I'm not very enthusiastic about the freeholder concept um, because the freeholder concept is, you know, has never been successful locally. So, um, you know, and I think it has a number of issues that basically just are frankly there to present obstacles to any plan moving forward. And that's not what we need. We need change. And we need to, uh, you know, frankly, we need to flip the script. And uh, we need we need a, a real change in the dynamics in our community if we're going to be successful and if we're going to be fair, if we're going to be fair to all of our residents and if we're going to if we're going to provide for equality for all of our residents, um, we have to make a change. And that change is not going to happen through the freeholder process. The freeholder process is really, you know, frankly, it, it's it's akin to just a straw man. You know, it's 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 a false argument, really. For people who think that that's going to be a way to stop the Better Together plan, would you say that they have another thing coming, basically? I don't know that I would say it that way, but I think that we all need to be intellectually honest. And it, it, there's just not a whole lot of intellectual honesty in promoting the freeholder, I call it the freeholder concept, because it's really just a concept. It's In practicality, it there's nothing that can really be moved through that that freeholder board. And there's no incentive for you to appoint people that would move something through it. That was kind of the, first, or the genesis behind the question, basically. Well, I think that's sort of the whole idea behind the structure. Mm-hmm. I think that the individuals who drafted, um, who drafted the language that relates to the freeholder, you know, call it the freeholder plan and the freeholder process, understood that, you know, there were two elected officials, the two chief elected officials proposed the members of that of that board. And I'm sure that they were able to, you know, foresee, you know, how that would uh, how that would how that would go in the event that that this process was invoked. I was looking at the language about how the districts would be drawn and both you and the mayor, current mayor of St. Louis, Lyle <coughs> Cruson, would basically appoint a, dem- a demographer who's from a university. And, you know, the question that I had is, since you would have a pretty big interest in how these districts are drawn, because you're going to be dealing with this legislative body as mayor, um, what confidence can you say to people that you're not going to just hand that demographer a plan and tell them, do this? Because I was looking at the language. I don't really think that there's any structural barrier for you or the, or the current mayor to do that. So I guess I'm asking you, like, how, what assurances can you provide people if this passes that that process is going to be truly independent, basically. I guess what's important to note is that that this is going to be a joint decision by the mayor and the county executive, and the the we can appoint an individual or a committee uh, that would be designated to minimize the politicization of the districting process. And in addition to following relevant state laws, the process 
would adhere to the principles of the Federal Voting Rights Act, which help ensure appropriate minority representation of the Metro Council. And everything that is done in that process is going to be subject to the scrutiny of our, of our local federal courts and, and higher if necessary. So there are really a, a good number of safeguards that ensure that that process is uh, fundamentally fair and constitutional. Um, if, if you're talking about me particularly, you could look you could look historically at, at what and uh, my involvement in drafting the current council lines. Um, I actually participated in the drafting of the current council lines. I did it uh, through a court action in federal court because it needed to be approved by a by a federal judge, and we moved through that process. We actually had uh, a, 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 a professor of political science uh, who acted essentially as a demographer and drafted the current council lines. And that was David Kimball, right? It was David Kimball, and I think he did so in a very fair fashion. It was ruled fair by the court, and uh, we proceeded with those lines, and we're, we're currently operating you know, the county council districts uh, under those lines. And they were challenged, and they were found to be fair and constitutional by the court. So I think it would happen in much the same fashion. Um, you know, um, this isn't really something that, uh, you know, w w really requires uh, you know, bringing in politics where politics doesn't belong, I guess is really the best way to put it. Um, that it's not a political process. It's, it's, a, it's a process where I think fairness is extremely important, and that's why it's, you know, called upon for a demographer to actually perform that function, not the mayor. And not, and not me. I wanted you to respond to some criticism from St. Louis city-based people. And this was not a criticism of you personally, and I understand that some of this is definitely tied to politics. But, you know, I was talking to Starsky Wilson, I'm sure you saw his comments. He really pushed back against the idea of the three county elected officials being the first county uh, elected officials of this metro government because they never voted for you and they feel like there's something wholly undemocratic about that. I'd like you to respond to that because um, I live in the county. I did get to vote in your election, so I guess that's not the same dynamic um, for me. But for a lot of city residents, their, their top three leaders are going to be county leaders. I understand the reasoning because that's what they did in Louisville. But again, it strikes at that visceral question that I mentioned before. So I'd like you to respond to that. Well, I, I'd first say that we all have to just take a step back and realize that this is temporary. And, and by temporary, I mean very temporary. Um, for the first two years of the transition, uh, Lida, Krusen, and I are both, um, we basically both hold the executive authority of, of the new entity. And so whatever proceeds requires the unanimous vote of both of us. That provides the city with a great deal of representation during that transition period while the government is being stood up. Then after that, there is, um, after, the, after that two years, that's when the new city council, the new metro council, um, is elected and, and comes into being uh, during that second two-year period of the transition. So you have representation at that level. You have 33 representatives um, and I would imagine that there would be a very solid representation of the city. It's done by population, so we're looking at about uh, 
39,000 individuals represented in a particular council seat. Currently, the Board of Aldermen has about uh, 11,000, 1 to 11,000, that's the ratio, 1 to 11,000. It would be 1 to 39,000 under, under the new council. Yes, for two years, you would have the three top elected officials, which would be um, me, um, Wesley Bell as the prosecuting attorney, and you would have the assessor there. And, and sure, that would be, those would be the county officials. Now, we also have to, you know, once again, this is all about a balance. So you've got 33 council members, you've got those three top elected officials. So there is representation at the, on the legislative side. And once again, remember, this is only for two years. And what we've seen across the board is that whenever you have, um, whenever you have a transition like this, where you're transitioning from multiple governments into one, the best practice across the country we've seen is to have the executive with continuity. And here we've had the executive with continuity and we've had you know that two-year period where it's both Lida and me at the table standing up the government making those decisions so that the city is represented in that process as we stand up the new government. So I think it's uh, I think it's fair. I think you have this for a very limited period of time. It's only two years, and you have that 33-member council, which I think provides the balance that you need to have that additional representation. But just once again, it's it's just for two years, and and it really does. This is a situation that does require that type of continuity. And imagine having an election for that top elected spot at the same time that you're having you know, elections for the 33 council members. And imagine you're trying to stand up a government that is going to sustain itself and be self-sufficient, you know, for generations to come. And you're talking about the first two years of essentially, you know, a generational, you know, multi-generational government. Um, it, it's, it's fairly insignificant when you consider that it's just two years out of potentially hundreds. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I think when you consider all that, I think it makes sense because, you know, frankly, someone has to do it and the county is the larger jurisdiction. Um, and when you, you know, when you, when you're, I, I would imagine you're trying to get the most, the highest number of people with representation perhaps that they voted for in a local election. And that's perhaps the best way to do it. Any final thoughts as we kind of enter into this 18, 19 month discussion? Because this may be one of the most important discussions we ever have as a region. So I'd like you to just sum up what we should all be talking about. I mean, I think what's really important is that we talk about what uh, what's in our hearts and what's in our minds. And we have a discussion that is uh, a full and complete discussion. You know, this is this is about democracy. And this is a democratic experiment. And this is going to be a government that is formed in a democratic, transparent way. And this is a fantastic debate that we're going to have and a fantastic discussion. And I think it's something that, uh, in the end, whether it succeeds or it fails, I think this is going to be a process that we can all be proud of because we will all have been participative. I think Better Together has plans to have uh, multiple town hall meetings. They've already had many. They're going to have many more. I think they're they're looking for um, a, uh, a a debate that is, as I said, full and complete, and a debate that's transparent. 
Uh, they have community organizers that are going to be making their way into the community to talk to folks about the plan and the details of the plan. And I think we want to hear, you know, I, I certainly want to hear from, you know, all of our residents on, on what they think of the plan and how they feel about it. And I think that uh, the main thing I would want to get across is that this is the time to talk about it and to make your opinions known and your thoughts known. And, and uh, this is democracy in action. That's it for this edition of Politically Speaking. You can read all of our stories at stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum and follow Steve Stenger at Steve Stenger. I'm Jason Rosenbaum. Until next time, so long. Thank you.